Hi, Chris Hoyt of CXR here. I want to take just a moment to introduce the second segment in this special series that we're calling Moments That Matter. The concept is that many of us have experienced some sort of inequality or prejudice, whether it has to do with our ethnicity, gender, age, or sexual orientation. There are countless other ways to be discriminated against or marginalized, of course. But what we're focused on in this series is asking someone to share a moment or two where that took place and when it occurred to them that something needed to change for them, the company where they were working, the people they were with. And these conversations we're capturing are about what those moments looked like and how they felt and what our guests decided to do about them. Now, the fun twist on this series is that it was kicked off with my interview of my friend Shalia Gray, who's the VP of Talent Acquisition at Quadiant. We spoke about a few uncomfortable things and even had some laughs, believe it or not. However, in this episode, I've passed the baton to Shalia, and she's interviewing William Wiggins, whom is a longtime friend and who is currently working as a director of human resources at SEIU. In our third segment, William will conduct an interview with another talent leader and will then pass the baton to that leader for their next interview. I'm sure by now you get the idea. So with that, I proudly present to you the next CXR episode, of moments that matter. You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter. So, William, I am so excited to meet you. So, Chris interviewed me, so I get a chance to interview you. And so, this whole concept is, you know, moments that matter. And since I don't know a lot about you, tell me a little bit about your journey, because the only thing I know from last week from my interview with Chris was that you're in HR, mm-hmm. and you do something unique in HR, and you're in the healthcare industry, and I think you're changing jobs. So, tell me a little bit about your journey. I am. My journey actually started um, in sales and marketing at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. Um, from there, I came over to the benefit side where I was a benefit consultant for many years with Mercer Human Resources Consulting. Um, came over to the HR side as a benefits analyst um, doing employee benefits. And um, that's when I really started thinking about coming over to the dark side, as everybody calls it, to the um, the HR staff relations side. Um, I found myself in benefits working with um, a lot of individuals where I wanted to do more, where I wanted to impact their experience beyond just benefits. And um, decided to take the plunge and come over to the HR side where I could get involved in um, employer branding, um, employer your engagement and be more strategic um, to do things to impact the employee experience. And so I am currently um, at Virginia Mason in Seattle, Washington. But as of next week, uh, this is my last day here. As of next week, I will be starting as an HR director with an organization called SEIU Benefits Group um, here in Seattle. And I'm really looking forward to it. They're doing a lot of dynamic things um, with employer branding, with um, social justice, and um, a lot of projects that align more with my um, with where I want to be. And so I'm looking forward to the move. Cool. You know, it's interesting. I, I heard you say that you live in Seattle, right? I know mm-hmm. Seattle doesn't have a huge diversity population. And I've probably seen most of the population on television in the last couple of months. Right. Tell me what it feels like to be in Seattle right now with all the things that are going on there. 
Well, I think you say most of the population right here on this Zoom, uh, this Zoom call. I believe Seattle is um, maybe 7% Black. Um, but what I see here is um, it, this is a town of, you know, we have a lot of millennials, a lot of Gen Xers. And um, so when you watch TV and you see the protests, that's what you see out in the streets um, who are pounding the pavement for social justice and equality. Um, and that sort of sums up Seattle um, in a nutshell. It is a, we have what we call the Seattle chill here, where when you move here, it's it's very, very difficult to know people um, beyond a surface level. But once you get to know them, people are, are genuine and um, stand up for what's right. And so as, I, I, as I've seen the, the protests and as I've worked with um, and managed a lot of these individuals who are out on the streets pounding the pavement for social justice, it's inspired me actually to become more involved. I, at a point, I thought maybe I was too old or I've done my bit, I've done my part, but it's inspired me to become a little bit more involved um, in, in the Black Lives Matter movement, in what's going on um, in politics. Um, and, and so that, that's what you see. Um, what you see on TV is not much different um, from, from real life here. We're, we're a young city and um, a city of believers. And, and so that's where I live. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful city. So, you know, we've all been on a journey. Um, I think you, you, you um, I did my podcast and um, I talked a little bit about my journey. Uh, I'm of a certain age and of a certain ethnicity and a certain gender. So um, I've had a unique journey, um, but there are moments that stand out um, in my life. And as I think back over, that were really aha moments for me. Um, I'd love to know if you've had some aha moments during your journey. I've had um, a lot of aha moments since, you know, we are, we are 12 year olds. Um, and you know how you get the talk from your father um, you know, when you are growing out of the little cute black boy stage to becoming a man, you know, you get that talk and you kind of don't understand it until you um, actually you live it. And so I've had aha moments um, for, you know, all of my life. But in terms of the workplace, um, I had a review once where the review actually said this and my boss um, talked to me and said that, um, you know, you have a flat effect. This is the only time I've ever been described as having a flat effect with anyone. You have a flat effect. And um, so you might want to smile more with people. Um, I think that that rich, dark skin of yours can be really intimidating. So you have to be careful um, that you don't want to come across as too menacing. Um, and so that's an aha moment. In, um, in in my life because this rich, dark skin of mine, though I'm very proud of it, it's not something that I can change or even want to change. Um, and so now I have to smile more in order not to be menacing because I'm dark skinned. Um, and so that, that's an aha moment. Um, another aha moment was when I was um, relocating to a job in another city. And I received a relocation package from Human Resources that was substantially under what I had known other people in the same role to get when they relocate. So I went to the Human Resources person who was very candid, and I went to her and I said, um, 
what is this? This is not what I this I thought I was going to be getting this, and this is not what I'm familiar with. This is what I I'm more familiar with X, Y, and Z. And so I quoted her what I had seen other colleagues did, and she nodded her head and she said, "Well, now that you have asked, I am obligated to um, give that package to you." And um, and I said, um, "Yeah, I think I want the white package." And she said, "It's funny that you would say that because I have been told." Um, to push this package to our employees of color because they will generally take what they're offered. And this was a, 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 a Caucasian female that told me this. And um, that was another aha moment um, in, in life that you you really need to look out, be careful, push back, and always question, you know, sort of what's in front of you and, and makes you wonder what you're not getting. Um, whenever you just sort of take whatever is, is given to you. And so um, I've had a number of those in my career, and um, it, there's so many, we would need a week to, 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 to go through them. Um, it's but that, that's just a few. <laughs> that's just a few. So your first one, when I hear your first one, you know, it makes me think of two things. One is I've worked at, I've worked at more than one organization where it showed up on someone's performance appraisal a person of color, male, that they dress too nice, right? So they said it in a way that I knew what they were saying. So the environment was more informal and it wasn't informal, it's just that the quality of what people wore was informal. And in both cases, these gentlemen, one was in the sales and marketing group, He always wore a Brooks Brothers shirt, a very nice custom suit, you know, look the executive part. And in the other case, it was an HR person. And he had come from New York to work for a company I worked for in Denver. And he was used to, he only had suits, right? Um, And so they were told that they dressed too nice. And my question when I saw it or heard about it was, is that the feedback we give everybody else? Mm -hmm. Right? Because I'd never heard about it for anyone else's feedback. And I felt like they were putting the divide between them and other people because they looked like, hmm, they were prepared for their next job. Yes. Right? Yes. And that made people uncomfortable. Because to me, when you put something in a performance appraisal, it's something you want someone to address. So it's, yes. it's different from, I, I had a manager one time who moved here to the US from, um, from Switzerland. And he said in Switzerland, he asked me to dress code because he said in Switzerland, we have different color suits for different seasons. There's a mm-hmm. tan one for whatever. That's, that's an informal feedback thing or question. Yep. Informative appraisal means something. So it's yes. you have that, that, that experience. Yes. Um, and then your second one, I, I will say that in recruiting, I have my radar up when it's a person of color or female, because I do believe that, um, and women also, that we don't ask for our worth, mm-hmm. right? We don't ask for our worth. And I will have males of any ethnic group that will ask for outrageous things, you know, yes. in their package, education, pay for MBAs. It has been you know, no shame in their game, no shame. Yes. Whereas I will find that other people do not negotiate or if they do, 
it's they negotiate for very small people that's yeah. way in my realm of being able to say yes. And so I, I hear you that um, there's two packages. And I do believe I work for one company that I found out much later that your bonus structure was negotiable. I, I never knew that. You know, most companies, if you're a manager of this or if you're in a quota bearing role, but to know that I could have negotiated my bonus percentage. After then, I'm like, everything's everything's free game. So very, very interesting. Now, and, and see, Shalia, we don't have, um, we are taught to, you know, make sure you get your piece of the pie. Um, we don't have that, um, I call that an entitlement expectation. I didn't learn that until I got older in my career. I learned it eventually when I learned my worth. But, um, you know, there was a time when um, here's what the package is. Um, okay, you know, that's what it is. Um, and, and so it took me late in life to actually learn, first of all, um, my worth and that um, I don't have to take what's on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's really, that, that's really I, I, I connect with what you're saying. Absolutely. I, you know, because I learned later in life about vacation. Okay. So when you get compensation a lot of times, there are, there are targeted ranges and all of that. And anytime you negotiate for your money, there has to be levels of approval. What not so much is vacation time. And vacation time, and that's because when you're salaried, you work late nights, you travel. So always you can play with it, right? Because yeah. we're not putting our time into systems, you know, word for word for overtime and stuff. So I, I, that was a story no one told me. Because I would say, well, how does it, because I've never been able to take all of my vacation anyway. But I said, like, how does Bob get six weeks? He negotiated <laughs> so I learned that early on, if you can't get the money, get something else that's more valuable to you that doesn't require everything. And to me, at this point in my career, time is the most important thing. Yes, yes. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's amazing what your, how your priorities change. As yeah, you, you can't get back moments with your family. You can't yeah. get back all those things. And so I'd rather have the vacation time to be able to spend that time because it is money. You're getting paid for it, but you get to spend it however you want. Yeah, so, yes. Um, I want to ask another question. So you, you talked about a little bit about your journey and some of your aha moments. Um, you are, as we all are, we age in our career. So if you were to go back and, and talk to your younger self, right, which is maybe five days ago, um, what would you say about some of the experiences, not only those aha moments, but some of the experiences you've seen, how would you talk yourself through how to deal with them, how to handle and how to feel about them? You know, Shalia, I would I deal with things very differently from how I used to. Um, it, I think one thing that I do is I deal with with things in the moment. Just to give you an example, um, where, where I was in the kitchen, in the break room, and there was a um, a white female employee in the break room, size two. It was two of them, and um, they were talking back and forth and they were describing another employee who they kept describing as, um, you know, she's like the all American beauty, the perfect um, example of, you know, uh, you know, what American beauty should be. And so they went into launched into, you know, perfect, you know, she's a size six blonde hair, blue eyes and sitting around the table in the kitchen were um, three Hispanic women and a black woman, all 
who did not fit that description at all. So this conversation went on and on and on. And I got my coffee and I walked out of the kitchen. And so when they came out, they had to pass my office. And so I called him and I said, can you come in for just a minute? Let me give you some feedback. Close the door. And um, um, sent the one down, the other one, um, the other one, well, I did call in one of them because the other one um, had to go someplace and, and, and had to, it was an emergency situation. And so I said, let me just give you some feedback. I said, a minute ago when you all were having that discussion in the kitchen um, about the all-American beauty, blonde hair, blue eyes, perfect size six, you had a group of women sitting there that was twice that size, then have blonde hair, blue eyes. What kind of message are you sending to your other colleagues that don't fit that description? I said, you're making an assumption that everybody thinks that that is the quintessential idea of American beauty. I said, but how would you feel um, if you were sitting at the table? And so she starts to well up um, with tears. And I said, you know, I'm not saying this to, you know, um, you know, her I just want you to consider. And she was um, truly sorry. She had not thought about it. She hadn't thought about it at all until I brought it to her attention. And, um, and she was, you know, oh, I feel so bad. I'm going to go and apologize. And I said, no, no, not necessary. You know, just I want to call it to your attention because oftentimes we don't think about those things. And so in the interest of sharing and in the interest of, um, of, of transparency, I just want you to see something from somebody else's standpoint. And then I ended it with, you know, I'm getting ready to walk down to Starbucks if you want me to bring something back just to kind of lighten the mood. When I was younger, I would not have handled that like that. I probably would have been more aggressive. Why did you say that? You know, that's not everybody's idea of American beauty. Um, but I, I would have handled it very differently. And I've learned, I think, because we go through this kind of thing daily. Um, I have had to decide what I'm going to get bent out of shape about, what's worth addressing in the moment, and when someone says or does something, what is the intent? You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter. Hello, Chris White here from CXR. This is just a quick break in our show to give you a heads up about CXR's new book club. It's open to anyone who wants to join and outside of securing the book and logging into the website with your own credentials or by using any popular social network to log in, it doesn't cost you a thing. Now we're currently reading The Buddha and the Badass and you can order or download it on amazon.com or use the link on our site to pick from over 80 different bookstores in the United States run by black business owners. We hope you'll join us for this bestseller, and we look forward to seeing you on our video call meetings. Head over to www.cxr.works books to get started. You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter. When someone says or does something, what is the intent? Um, I use an example of, I was at the hospital not too long ago, and I'm dressed, um, you know, professionally. 
And I was at the front desk, um, just kind of covering things um, because we had a staffing issue. And so an old white couple comes in and the white woman comes up and she says, oh, I think it's just so wonderful that they are hiring young black men to be on the front desk here. I've been coming here for years. And I think that's just so wonderful that they're hiring young black men now. And you know what? If you work really, really hard, this is a good hospital. They're, they'll promote you up. You'll move up through the organization pretty quickly. And you know what, Chilia? I said, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So someone that was sitting there saying, you should have told her off. And I said, if I had told her off, she wouldn't have gotten it. She was not trying to be mean. She was not trying to be offensive. She was being genuine. What she saw in front of her is not a 60-year-old Black man. She saw a young Black man. She saw black and in her mind he's a young man he's someone who's moving up it, it it wouldn't have mattered if i stopped if i had addressed it, if i told her that's offensive to me i'm not yet she wouldn't have gotten it her intent was pure so you have to take it in the spirit that it's given and not get hung up on every little thing sometimes the intent is not pure and you have to address it in the moment and so as i've gotten older in my career you have to you have to kind of shift through um the insults <laughs> and the offenses, and you have to decide which ones um, you need to address in the moment um, to, to stop that particular behavior, which ones are actually illegal and um, are impacting your ability to, to learn and grow on a job, and which ones are just, you know, could be hurtful, but didn't mean any harm sorts of things. And it's interesting you say that, because I think that's a good learning piece that I've learned, um, and, my, and my grandparents had said it to me, but I had to learn it in life. Everything's not a fight, and you've got to be able to separate racism from ignorance, yes. right? Um, so that, to me, with her statement is, is one. I, I, was in a, I was in a diversity conference at my last organization, and one of the diversity speakers who got up was a white female. And she was talking about, she was giving an example. And she gave an example of a friend of hers who was black, who was a lawyer and the head partner, I think, in the firm. And she had to go out to a rural area in another state um, for some type of hearing or whatever and to do some type of deposition. So she drove out there. She arrived early, small town. You go to the courthouse. There's a clerk there. And she stepped up to the thing and she said, I'm here to do a deposition for such and such. And the woman said to her, well, when the lawyers get here, I'll let them know you're here. <laughs> and so she said again, I'm here to do a deposition and I'm a lawyer. And the woman looked incredulous and said something. So the woman who was doing the speech, she was like, well, I would have said that da, 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 I would have, you know, really taken her to task. And the African-American woman said to her, um, that was a, a that was an elderly lady who was living in a small town in a rural area. And maybe to her, I was her first experience. So I'm going to take it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, and, uh, this was a diversity conference, you know, for employees. So several of us diversity employees talked about it over lunch. Now I come from a very small town. Here is what I heard from her. When the woman gave that story, my experience has been that little old lady in that town has been there a long time. And she probably has a lot of clout 
with everybody in that courthouse, mm -hmm. including the police. If that African-American woman would have gotten indignant and challenged her in that environment, her car may not have been able to leave that town without a tail light, not signaling to change a lane. Something could have happened. Yeah. That's my experience. I, you know, I put an experience on there. Mm -hmm. So at that moment, I would have done exactly what that lady did and believed that it was ignorance, not racism. Yeah. But my experience, having come from very small towns, is that sometimes there's retribution when you don't know your place. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I have a, you know, so I will take that with me. You know, your learning experiences are part of your, you know, your kind of your roadmap. And so, you know, I think about that, and that's the same case with this woman. Um, I'm going to assume that it was ignorance, not racism. Mm -hmm. it didn't need to be a teachable moment, and you could let it go when you left. Yes. You know, when you're younger. Things like that can make you mad. Like, you know, I did all of this and look what happened to me, you know, whatever. And you might have challenged the situation mm -hmm. because you saw it. So I think that's a very good teachable, teachable yes. moment to, to your younger self, not to take things the same way. Well, you know, Shalia, we had, um, I was with an organization and we had um, an auditor to come in from the Department of Health. And so um, the receptionist called back and I said, have him sit in the conference room. And so I went into the conference room. I, I extended, she said, you know, he's looking for um, the head of HR. And so um, I heard her say, William will be right up. Um, sit him in the conference room before she went on the phone. So I go into the conference room. I take, you know, my files and I go into the conference room. I extend my hand and I say, hi, I'm William. I'm the head of HR. And he literally drew back and he looked me up and down and he said, um, I'm waiting on the head of HR. And so I looked over both shoulders sarcastically and I said, hi, I'm William. I am the head of HR. And um, he said, oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I, was, uh, I was expecting, um, I was expecting a, a, a bill. And, well, that's not what the reception told you my name was. And he said, uh, forgive me, I, I haven't had my coffee yet. I haven't had my coffee. And so um, I went and I told my executive director and, and, and he was outdone. And he, I'm gonna go, we're gonna go and we're gonna take, and I grabbed him by the arm and I said, don't, because he's an auditor right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. I said, we need, we need this favorable audit. So we don't need no distractions. We don't need any, we don't need any mess. So don't, I handled it. He got the, he got the hint. So at the end of the day, he actually came back and he said, I want to apologize. Um, nothing personal. He said, um, I don't know where my head was. We don't need to say anything else. And we, we were able to move past the audit. So what you just said about the consequences, <laughs> It was not worth causing drama and then potentially have to work with this individual combing over your files all day long with this drama between you. So I had to grab my executive director by the arm and said, don't, 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 don't. It's cool. There's a, there's a book. Have you ever read The Rage of a Privileged Class? I have not. Okay. I'm intrigued. So there's a book. It came out and I'm going to say it was 95, 96. There's a guy named Ellis Close. And what he did was um, the governor, the, the mayor at the time of New York City, made a statement. It was Mayor Koch. He made a statement that those of us who are privileged, and he said, college educated, you know, um, jobs, middle class African-Americans basically do not have the same struggles as lower income people. 
And so what he was basically saying is that as the rich get richer, as the rich get richer, as we're more making more millionaires of people of color in the United States, these gaps will just go away. Right? Yes. And how we feel. And Alice Close decided to do an experiment and to figure out if that was true. So he interviewed a series of people to talk, and these are people at the height of their careers, height of where they should be, to find out if our experiences are different. And the stories speak for themselves. There was one that was a partner at a law firm, and he came in on a Saturday in you know, casual clothes um, to go into his office to pick up something or do some work. And it was a key-only elevator, and there was a white um, young man in the elevator who did not want to let him off at the floor. Oh, yeah. And all of this because he did not know he was a partner. Mm -hmm. There was a case of a female executive who decided that she was going to treat herself by going to a jewelry store. She was dressed on a weekend. She went into the jewelry store and was not was followed around and questioned and not shown what she was looking for. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, which is one I have lived by, which was um, uh, a real estate real estate agent saying that houses of color don't always move quickly on the market or sell at a high price when someone comes into your house and your ethnicity is on is on show. Yes. After that, all family pictures, all family artwork, all family anything, including hair products, because I saw that in one house I was looking at, yeah. there's nothing to define who I am as the owner of this house. Yes. But the premise was, is that a rich class of people have different experience, so we're above the, the things that we're talking about in terms of moments. Yes. And, 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 and his, his, his hypothesis was we're not above that, because no matter what class or whatever, it's still there. It truly mm-hmm. is. And your experience, we were talking about that, also takes me to the point that in the US, as an African-American woman, when I walk into a, position, a, a meeting or anything, or video conference, they're trying to figure out who's in charge. Yes. It's interesting that when I go to Europe or Asia and I walk into a, to the meeting and if I start the conversation, they assume I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting dynamic that there is not a paradigm that if I'm sitting in India and I'm a black woman, that I could not possibly be the leader of my function. Yes. And their assumption is, we wouldn't have you here if you're probably not someone in charge. Yes, yes. Right? Right? <laughs> we, you wouldn't be here because we don't see a lot of you unless you're in charge. But our American right. paradigm is, you know, you can't possibly be in charge. I think I think it's very, that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, as you get older in your career and looking back, the things that, that used to bother you, you say, well, that's just par for the course. It just, yep. I think I was um, walking down the street one day, um, downtown, this is in Seattle, and I walked by this homeless man with those, um, you know, not in his head, and um, he's shouting things out on the street. So as I walked by, um, and I was with two colleagues, as I walked by, he um, he shouted, and I'm just going to say the word because it is a word, he shouted, um, nigger. And immediately, everybody on the streets, it's a Seattle, um, everybody on the streets, including my two um, white male colleagues, they went after him. And I had to grab people to say, stop, stop, you guys, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. 
And I'm like, what has happened to him has already happened to him. They, and they were wondering how come I was not offended. It's a homeless man. You cannot take this out with a word. And so I had to explain to them, leave him alone. And I literally kept on walking when he said it. I didn't have any emotion behind it. Um, he said it and he kept pushing his little car. And, um, and so people, there was a messenger guy that was on a bike who immediately took his bike and put it in front of the car. And another woman came across the street. That is not okay. And I had to like quell the crowd and say, you guys stop, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Come on, leave him alone. Leave him alone. I'm like, can't you see what has happened to that man has already happened to that man? That has not hurt me in any way. On the other hand, he has some problems. He's my likely mentally ill. I'm not hurt. I'm not impacted one way or another. Just leave the man alone. But it was really interesting. It was kind of comical to me um, just how everybody else reacted and how uh, people, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? Let me, and I'm thinking that is not the worst thing I've actually heard about me this week. <laughs> Unless you live in the skin and live this life, that may be a big deal for some. It is not to me anymore at this age. Um, I've seen it all been called it all, have had it all happen. And so uh, again, it's about learning, you know, how to manage through, um, you know, what to take in, what to let go of your head and what needs to be addressed. And something coming from a homeless man with a card on the street didn't need to be addressed. It was not worth my time. And I, and I, and I totally agree because I, I think that, and there's a difference, I always try to share with people, there's a different about, difference about being an activist for things that you care. And then, uh, and being angry about the life that you're living. You know, yes. I guess, you know, I grew up in the South, and as I mentioned, in a small town, um, and there are certain things that are just wrong. But I can't address everything that's wrong. And so, as a result, it's not that I'm desensitized to it, but I know how to manage my feelings around it. Yes, you manage to it. You, you manage through it. And that's one of the things when I see this, the, the, the young people today, and I consider them young people today, um, I remember I grew up doing the late 60s, and I remember the young people then when I was much younger. Um, and I see the same type of frustration coming back again mm -hmm. um, in, in, that, in that group. And there was a lot of things that were done positively in the 60s, and there were some things that were done very negatively in the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, and I see you got to be able to manage both, but you got to have a plan. You really yes. So, you know, this whole session we're doing uh, moments that matter. I think that, you know, the purpose of this was to share some of our wisdom mm -hmm. and share some of our pain and to be able to take both of those and say, but, but, but. Yes. Um, I don't believe this is just a moment. I believe this is going to be a movement. Yes. But I believe we need to see where this movement goes, but I believe that there is a, um, a, an awakening, not just in the U.S. for the first time, but around the world around the situation and the fact that there are many of us um, who are carrying a lot, of, a lot of things on our shoulders. Yes. I, um, there were quite a few of my friends and initially who put out there uh, one, are you okay? And I said, I'm safe right now. And then the second thing was my my religious friends, we just need to pray about this. Yes. And we don't need to march. We need to pray. And I said, 
you know, faith without works is dead, as the Bible says. So I have been praying about this. This is not the first situation. I have been praying about this situation, but we also need to be active in this time. Yes. We yes. need to be active in this time. Don't let this moment and this opportunity to ask for what you need and what you want to pass you by. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. And I, if there's one message that I want to send to people, um, uh, people of color and, or, or people of, of, of any color, is um, get involved. This is a critical time in our history. Um, we have an opportunity, not just in these workplaces, but also in our communities to make a difference. Um, we are about to, um, I've always said that this election um, that's coming up will be fought and won at the polls, but it's going to be a fight. And um, we can't afford to sit back and let everybody, and I'm talking about our black community now, we can't afford to sit back and let everybody work on our behalf. We have to get involved um, in this. And so I have um, been involved in a few protests here. I've bad back and all. Um, I've been marching. I've also um, given money to um, the campaigns. I've been in um, registering people to vote um, because I cannot, as a black man, sit back and let other people fight for something that's so critical, um, critically important to me. And so um, get involved. This is not, yeah, I, I know you're tired. I know, you know, we've been fighting for a long time, but um, we got to stay out there in the fight. We've had people, um, you know, to march and have practically had their brains beat out on the bridge in Alabama. Um, and they still, until the day they died, and I'm talking about, um, um, about our uh, congressman. Yeah. We have to get involved. We, we cannot sit this one out. We cannot sit this one out, and we cannot be too tired. And so that, that would be a message that I'd like to send to um, to everyone. And in terms of um, our, our workplaces, um, I think this is an opportunity to, as, as companies, to state our position on social justice. I think a lot of people want to get involved, but they shy away from it a little bit because what are our customers going to think? Um, you know, how is this going to impact our business? Um, and if you find yourself in a position where you are worried about, if we declare that Black Lives Matter or we declare that um, we agree with equality and justice and equal pay for women um, is going to hurt our business, you, probably, you really need to take a, a really close look at that see how you're doing business and who you're doing business with and also um you know uh, be willing to take some risk despite that so um there's a lot of opportunity there um we have a lot coming up in the next 70 some days um we are in the midst of a pandemic you know where we can't even travel anymore this is serious we this is no joke this is the time to get involved i totally agree um, people can't see us because we're on a podcast. I'm an African-American female, and I believe you are a... I am a black man. Um, and I would say to people who are, who are not African-American, because I think this is a moment and a movement around Black Lives Matter, um, but it's a bigger movement around just, you know, the value of humans um, and their experiences in America. I would say to people, don't look to African American, the African American community, right, to have all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. We can we can raise the concerns, 
we can raise how we think some of the concerns um, should be addressed. But this is a collective time for all of us to do problem solving, right? Yes. Um, and change. And um, so I, I always encourage that because I think the first thing that occurs is that people uh, sometimes hire chief diversity officers, create you know employee resource groups, have diversity councils, and put all the African Americans, Hispanics, whatever on the council, yeah. and and believe that that changes things. No, it doesn't change things. It starts things. Yes, right. It starts things. The um, wonderful, wonderful thing to do. It starts, but it's not going to change things, and it's not your solution. It is a part of how you will create your solution. Yes. So I want to thank you, William. I learned a lot about you. I learned a lot about your journey. I appreciate that you are um, still engaged with all of the work you're doing in the community um, and how this moment means something very special to you. Um, So you will be interviewing someone. So do you want to tell us who you're going to be interviewing? You want it to be a surprise. I'd like it to be a surprise, you know. Yeah, a little mystery. What's behind oh, curtain mystery. number three? Oh, you know? Okay. <laughs> keep them <I'm>, guessing. <laughs> okay, I'm okay with that Chris Wallace as you jump out of the bushes in 60 minutes. I'm okay with surprises. <laughs> I think that'll be a wonderful thing for the group. I, I will say she's pretty wonderful and dynamic, though. <laughs> Very good. So I look, forward to, I look forward to listening to that podcast, too. Okay. So I want to thank you for today and all of your time. Thank you, Shalia. I appreciate it. And, and uh, stay in the fight. You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter.